Well, life can sometimes really catch you out. Uh, Last year, we had the 2022 floods uh, here in Victoria that brought much damage and destruction to many towns across our state. Um, I think for many towns, it brought the community together as they were forced to kind of work together to try and reduce damage to property, people, and possessions. But for one town in our state, I think it caused a bit more of of a mixed reaction. Uh, In Echuca, the decision was made to build a flood levee, a big dirt barricade or a big wall that prevented the floodwaters getting into the centre of town. However, this flood levee was bittersweet for the community. This was because some houses were caught on the flood side of this levee because this levee wasn't able to be built in such a way to save every home. And so for many residents who found themselves on the wrong side of this levee, they were left feeling quite hard done by. Probably left hung out to dry, to suffer, while the rest of the community were saved. Uh, One resident even said that they were the sacrificial lambs, having to sacrifice and put their own house on the line in order to save the other homes, not necessarily doing so willingly with the decision being made for them. Peering over that levee wall, I'm sure it would have been very easy to feel hard, hard done by, bitter and resentful about the whole thing. Like those Echuca residents caught on the wrong side, for the Christian, there's a danger that we too become resentful and bitter, feeling hard done by by life's circumstances that come our way. Perhaps even feeling bitter and angry against God for the situations that we might find ourselves in. Maybe it's some trial or struggle that overcomes you and makes you feel that way. Or maybe it's a feeling that builds up over time caused by a combination of circumstances as it slowly dawns on you that your life isn't panning out quite the way you thought or hoped it would. You might come to feel like Job. If you read in the book of Job, he says there in chapter 3 verse 20, Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul? Well, for us here today, In our passage, we meet someone who they themselves were in the depths of bitterness. Naomi, the Israelite woman who, having lost everything, was left feeling this way. And so through her story, we have the opportunity to learn how we are to deal with such times of bitterness. How we might come out of them, but also how to ward off bitterness and resentment in the first place when tough times inevitably do come. Well, in our passage, we find that it teaches us that it's all about discovering and experiencing God's goodness in those times, his loving kindness, his chesed. And so what we're going to be thinking about first this morning in a broad way is how do we go and travel down this road of experiencing God's said in troubled times, in in difficult, uh, bitter times, when we're feeling resentful. And what we find in our passage is that there are really two aspects about traveling this road in the Christian life. And the first is this, from our passage, 
It's coming to realize that you are more empty than you think. For those of us here last week, uh, we explored the first five verses of the book of Ruth. There we saw things go from bad to worse for this family of Elimelech, Naomi, and their sons, Chilion and Marlon. Having left Israel, the promised land, in search of a more prosperous life, there further tragedy strikes. After a period of 10 years, Elimelech, Chilion, and Marlon, they all pass away leaving Naomi destitute and alone with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, two Moabite women who her sons had married before they had passed away. Then, in that land of Moab, Naomi hears a small murmur in the fields of Moab. The Lord, Yahweh, has visited his people and given them food. Bethlehem was Back in business, you could say. I'm not sure if you've got a picture there. I couldn't help but think of uh, just the next one uh, of our COVID experience. I took these photos back in 2020, uh, <laughs> where everything was empty. There was you couldn't get toilet paper, you couldn't get much bread. Well, in a similar way, Bethlehem was back in business. The supermarket shelves were finally being restocked. Bethlehem, the house of bread, was finally producing crops again for bread making. And I've got another picture. Uh, this was my own creation in, <laughs> in COVID lockdown where I made my own bread. It was uh, kind of worked out all right. This was the experience in some ways of Bethlehem, coming back out of famine and, and having food again and, and crops and all the things they needed for life. Having lost almost everything in the land of Moab, Noab, uh, Naomi seeks to head back to Bethlehem on her own. And from verse 8, it says there, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her, her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt kindly with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each uh, of you, in the house of her husband. Uh, in reading the book of Ruth, we need to constantly be thinking about transporting ourselves back first into the days of Israel. Try and see the book from an Israelite's perspective. Where without a husband, in those times, women had no welfare or security. Naomi naturally thinks then that Orpah and Ruth are best to go back and find Moabite husbands, new husbands for themselves. For the prospects of two Moabite women finding a husband in Israel, at least on paper, was not high, given the cultural and religious animosity between these nations. And so at first, these two women think, no, I'm going to try and stick it out with you, Naomi. But Naomi points out the obvious. She's too old to have a husband. And even if she did somehow miraculously find a husband and give birth to more sons, these women ought not wait for them to grow up for them to marry them. From verse 13, Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. I think it's safe to say that Naomi was not on good ter talking term terms with God. Her relationship with the Lord is incredibly strained at this point. 
Something that is again emphasized at the end of the chapter when she does return to Bethlehem. Is this Naomi? says the women of the town. Do not call me Naomi, comes her reply. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Again, we have a play on words here. Naomi, her name means pleasant, and Mara means bitter. Naomi's at rock bottom here and bitter towards God. I wonder if you have ever felt similar emotions before in your own life, towards life, towards God, towards the circumstances that you have faced. Uh, Sometimes there's a misconception that simply being a Christian means that your life will kind of go well, or that if it doesn't, Christians won't get angry and bitter. Because, you know, Christians don't do that kind of thing. Right? Well, it's not true, is it? The Christian is prone to the same danger and risk. But for all the emptiness that Naomi felt here, her actions and attitudes uh, to this point still doesn't show that she really understands the depths of her own emptiness. Her circumstances was only part of the story. Like Israel as a whole during that time of the judges, Naomi failed to see and recognize her spiritual emptiness, her needs for repentance. Despite what she had been through, her circumstances failed to produce the spiritual fruit that it was calling for, repentance at heart and confession of sin. In essence, at a heart level, she's essentially saying, God, I deserve better. But the consistent message of the gospel is that we don't deserve better. We don't deserve God's loving kindness, his chesed. For we are all lousy sinners who deserve the opposite, God's justice, his wrath, having fallen short of the glory of God. In times of bitterness and resentfulness towards your maker, a part of coming to experience God's steadfast love involves an acknowledgement of this in your heart. That in our sin, we we don't deserve God's grace. Only then can we be on the road to heart renewal, heart transformation, and experiencing God's goodness. For the Christian, this is not a one-off event. Rather, through various trials and hardships, God continues to reveal the spiritual darkness that still resides in our souls as he shapes and molds us for glory. For the non-Christian, this is especially important to consider too. Um, I mean, our culture loves the idea of a God of love and a God of grace, but they fail to recognize the definition of grace, being God's undeserved favor, his undeserved goodness and kindness, where God is completely free to withhold it from sinners if he chooses. A part of experiencing the salvation on offer in Jesus then involves the realization that you have nothing worthy in yourself to offer God that will make you acceptable to Him. You come empty handed. If you are to come to Him, you must come with that attitude that 
God, I'm in total need. My hands are empty. I have nothing of myself to give you. I need you, you to fill me up. There's a second thing that we need to learn from a passage about this road to experiencing God's loving kindness in, in times of hardship and, and difficult times. Not only do we need to have a fuller awareness of our emptiness, we need to recognize that we are more full than we think. In response to Naomi's advice, Orpah and Ruth initially respond the same way emotionally. But then they head in two different directions. I'll just read from verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. I think it's okay here to say, wow, wow to Ruth. Her pledge, her faith, her dedication to Naomi and her people and to the Lord seems to just kind of come out of nowhere here. Like a sudden bright ray of sunlight that beams through the clouds on an overcast day. It's worth considering just for a moment just how profound Ruth's offer really is here. I mean, once again, we need to consider the context here. Ruth is going out of her way to commit herself to Naomi. Now, it's true that Orpah and Naomi all show some genuine concern for each other and each other's well-being. That's certainly true. But clearly here, Ruth is the star of the show, well and truly going above and beyond what is required or expected. Even foolish, one might think. For to commit herself to Naomi like this places her in a really lowly position, choosing to move away from her own people, having at least on paper less prospects of success and prosperity in Israel than in Moab, choosing for herself the path of exile, of destitution, all for the well-being of Naomi. We get a hint of her lowly place at the end of the chapter, for the women of Bethlehem don't even mention a thing about Ruth. It's all about asking, oh, this is Naomi. We're just kind of forgetting that Ruth is right there. One commentator describes Ruth as being Naomi's embarrassing appendage. Uh, being about as welcome in Bethlehem as a ham sandwich at a bar mitzvah. If you don't recognize what that means, a bar mitzvah is when a, a, a Jewish boy at age 13 would commit himself to uh, the Torah for himself and take the responsibilities of that of himself, which would include not eating ham. But was Naomi thankful for Ruth? Perhaps on some level she recognized her commitment to her. But I don't think it's reading into the narrative at all to say she failed to truly appreciate Ruth's commitment the way that she ought have. Choosing instead to declare herself empty 
to the women in Bethlehem, whereby subtly kind of viewing Ruth as a bit of a nobody. Once again, this story helps us point us to the gospel, God's bigger story of the Bible, where in Jesus we have all we need in this life truly to make us full. But like Naomi, we too, in times of bitterness and strife, cannot forget, um, can forget what we already have in Jesus, what is essentially right in front of us. More than the steadfast love, uh, the commitment of Ruth, or the hope of a husband for security and well-being for these women, Jesus is the better husband, the ultimate giver of God's chesed having died and given totally of himself to become the head of his bride, the church. Uh, We see this in Ephesians 5 where uh, the Apostle Paul uh, talks about the marriage relationship and how that marriage relationship points to the bigger marriage relationship of of God and the church. And I'll just read a few verses here. Uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish." And it goes on. I could read more. But the Apostle Paul is saying that uh, just like husbands should give sacrificially of himself to his wife, in the ultimate sense, Jesus gave himself for us, the church. Jesus did this on the cross where he died to wash, take away our sins and that we might experience the cleansing from our sins through the pouring out of his blood. So that one day we might be presented to God blameless and perfect in every way, having security that our souls long for and the hope of eternal life and restoring the very presence of God in our lives. The cross was God's ultimate example of his work of chesed where Jesus went to the nth degree to save his people, going truly above and beyond. In times of bitterness and sorrow, then, we need to be reminded that what Jesus has actually already done for us, what we already have, and how he's already promised to do so much more for us in the future. Whereby recognizing the spiritual fullness that he gives to his children now. So that's the road to experiencing God's chesed through Jesus, where we need to recognize our emptiness, our need for him in our sin and our rebellion, and we need him to fill us up. But that equally as Christians, he's given Jesus to us, that we actually have so much in Jesus, uh, even in trials and tribulations, uh, we have so much in God. But there's something else that we learn from our passage today. As we travel that road as his church, experiencing God's loving kindness, our passage surely calls us to respond with that same 
chesed to others. To embody God's steadfast love towards others as we show the love of Christ to those around us. Firstly, it means showing and embodying chesed to fellow believers within the church, even when it's kind of difficult to do so. The Naomi's of this world can be a tough crowd to deal with. Doing good for them is a form of long-suffering itself. Maybe you're here recognizing yourself a bit of a Naomi. And yet God calls his church to show the love of Christ to the unlovable. Not because that makes us good people or to puff ourselves up, but from a place of humility, knowing that your Savior died for you and now calls you to walk in his footsteps. It's ironic that it's Ruth here, the Moabite, who best displays God's chesed. The outsider, through her actions, was showing herself to be more of an Israelite at heart than anyone else in the narrative so far. Embodying chesed in a way only God can enable her to do so, with self-sacrificial love. But not only are we called to uh, show chesed to fellow believers. Second, Ruth 1 calls us to display it to outsiders, like the Orpahs and Ruths of the world. As the narrative progresses, we'll soon see how Ruth really does become part of God's people, even being included in the divinic line. The very family that uh, Jesus comes from as the Messiah. Now, if we look at the Old Testament as a whole, Ruth's testimony, her story, is a bit of an anomaly. For God's message of salvation in Old Testament times was largely restricted to God's people in Israel. But now, today, ever since that day of Pentecost, it's different. We're having, after Jesus died and rose again from the dead and ascended back to heaven... There, after that, he sent forth God the Holy Spirit to empower his people with power from on high. Now God's mission and message of salvation has burst forth everywhere. With God's people, his church, existing in every continent and every country. As the gospel continues to go forward and the name of Jesus is proclaimed to all the nations. You and I are part of that, that very mission. Being called to show God's steadfast love, to embody it in word and deed, to reach out for the lost of, uh, for, the lost for Christ. And so will you heed this call to reach out to the spiritual foreigner, those who are not believers and outside of the church, who need God's saving message We are empowered to do this only first through experiencing God's loving kindness ourselves. And so I just asked you this morning, have you experienced the love of Jesus for yourself in the first place? If you're here today and not yet a believer in your heart, are you willing to become one, to turn to Jesus, to declare yourself utterly empty and in need of his forgiveness? A sinner who has nothing worthy in yourself to give to God. Nothing that makes you acceptable in of yourself. That is a really hard thing to accept. 
and admit. But it's essential to becoming a genuine Christian. But not only to admit your emptiness this morning, but to come to Jesus to become full, to be filled with new spiritual life through the indwelling Holy Spirit that he gives to all his people. Knowing that in your heart of hearts, you are accepted because of Jesus alone, who clothes you with his righteousness. That in him, you have true security, true hope, and the, the experience of profound, bottomless love through the forgiveness of sins that he offers. And so will you forsake yourself this morning and come to him, coming under his headship as a spiritual husband of the church? who cared enough for her to even die for her, to die for you and me. Don't go the way of Orpah. Don't run away from God's promises and salvation. Don't get caught out outside of God's flood, uh, his, his levy, his saving levy, his saving wall of love, being forever instead lost in the deep waters of your sins. Don't leave this place viewing Jesus as that embarrassing appendage that you just don't want to have around. Come to him for spiritual life. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do confess that there are times that we do feel uh, bitter and resentful. As life circumstances become difficult and it can be so hard to see your goodness in it. But Father, we thank you that today for the pertinent reminder that we need your grace, that we don't deserve your goodness and that in such times help us to have a soft heart towards you, to come to you in need with empty hands, knowing that you are the one who fills us up. And Father, I pray that you would fill us up in those times, that we would experience in you the amazing wonder of your grace, that we can see that even if our temporary struggles make us feel empty in temporal ways and earthly ways, in spiritual ways we are full in Jesus, so that you have already given us and accomplished so much for us on the cross, and giving us new life through the Holy Spirit. Father, help that be our experience as we travel the ups and downs of this life. And Father, as we, your people, experience your loving kindness, help us to show that to others around us. Help us to walk amongst and next to people who are the Nomis of this world, recognizing ourselves to be sometimes Nomi as well. People who fail to see God's goodness when, when they should. But help us to love even in difficult times, to walk that journey of faith with our brothers and sisters. Father, also we pray that as we head out also throughout our week, and we reach, that we would reach out and show that same uh, love of Christ to our neighbours, Lord, to the lost, to those who have no hope of eternity, 
that are still dead in their sins. Father, help us in very practical ways, in words and deed, show your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.